Welcome to the stream, a bi-weekly podcast with myself, Chelsea Frisbee, and my co-host, Anna Janiszewski. We stream our thoughts on mindfulness, mental health, self-care, spirituality, and all the ways we move through life. In this episode, we are looking at the topic of self-worth. We move through how you can measure it, what healthy self-worth looks like. We talk a little bit about the interplay between capitalism and self-worth and gender roles and self-worth and share some practical practical tips, as always, um, including a little bit about the power of sticky notes. Hope you enjoy it. That's right. And our topic today is self-worth. Chelsea and I were brainstorming some ideas for today's show, and we did want to start with an acknowledgement that self-worth is a topic that runs through just about any other themes we could possibly think to bring up on this show. For instance, last week we talked about boundaries, and of course, in order to set and maintain healthy boundaries, there's got to be at least some belief that we're fundamentally deserving of the goals behind those boundaries, whether that's protection or freedom we're seeking, we have to feel that we have a level of self-worth that warrants them in the first place. And in later shows, we'll be talking about all sorts of things, relationships, perfectionism, acceptance, a sense of meaning and purpose, all these things that really rely not only on a clear sense of self, but more generally, and I would argue more importantly, on a clear sense of your self-worth. Because after all, you can feel like you have a very specific idea of who you are and what's important to you and how your experience differs from other people's, which would be having a clear sense of yourself as compared to the other, but it's also possible to have those ideas articulated clearly and still not actually value yourself to the degree that would be healthiest for you. So with that as an introduction and also um, we'd like to try to differentiate somewhat the term self-worth from terms like self-esteem, self-confidence, or self-awareness, even though in those as well, of course, there's some overlap. We are defining self-worth in this conversation as a measure of how we value what we recognize in ourselves or another way that we can conceptualize that is what resources we have whether those are particular talents or abilities or just our time care attention or beliefs um it's it may be easiest to simply imagine these things in economic terms like where do i want to spend my time and energy what am i getting in return how do i feel when i choose to invest in myself as compared to when I invest in other people, because questions like these really can help cut through some layers of emotional nuance in certain situations, allowing us to see things a little more black and white and make decisions that serve us best in the long run, not just ones that feel most comfortable in the moment. Um, Usually black and white thinking, I think, is pretty problematic, but in certain circumstances, it's definitely helpful to not get caught up in the emotional nuance of a situation if I'm tempted, for instance, to say, you know, I really wanted to set Sunday aside for myself to recharge, but now my good friend is asking for help, going through a hard time, and she needs help with something. And so my needs, in comparison to hers, given the circumstances, are less significant, right? Uh, Things get a little bit complicated and messy when we allow that much nuance into the situation, which is not to say that we can't and shouldn't be flexible sometimes, but that Sometimes these factors get in the way of our ability to value ourselves to the degree that we really need to. Yeah, and I really love that that definition of self-worth just as a starting place for the conversation because thinking about uh, thinking about value, like what what do I value in my life, 
do I value myself? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's foundational. And a lot of, as you said, a lot of things, um, other parts of life can move from this, this very, uh, what can be a solid foundation or what for many people, um, myself included at different points in my life can be a, a rocky foundation if, if we're not aware of, of even, even that this is something to think about and like consider for ourselves where we're at. So, um, you know, that's, that's something that I think about a lot is like, why, why is this important? If so, as a foundational value in my life, if I can't value myself, or if I don't believe that I'm deserving of good things, then I won't make decisions in my life that allow good things to come to me. It's sort of a, a very rational, like, I, I like it when some of these concepts start to be that, uh, like, almost like a math equation, right? Mm, it's like, yeah. oh, so if it's not, if I don't have that to begin with, then of course, nothing else is, is going to work the way that I want it to. Um, and I find it that it's really important uh, to think about and to consider because when, when I do have a, a solid foundation of self-worth and that I, I believe that, that I'm deserving of feeling good, that I um, can do things that make me feel good, that like enjoying life is, <laughs> is possible and... Uh, something to strive for, then it's a lot more enjoyable. Like I, if I feel that I, I deserve it, then it allows me, it's like this, this, this key to be able to be able to access and feel joy, which I know for myself is something that I personally like to feel. And I imagine that other people do as well. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, no, I think you ask anyone and they would say, of course, joy is a goal of mine. Of course, I want to feel joy. And yet so many of us are doing so much to throw obstacles in our own way on the path toward it. Um, and certainly, like you're saying, the idea of being fundamentally deserving, feeling that we're fundamentally deserving is at the heart of this whole topic, because it's not necessarily about accomplishments or abilities in themselves. These things certainly contribute to our sense of self-esteem but uh, more primarily about the feeling that we deserve in the first place to take up space, to be alive, to be loved, to be cared for, and to enjoy ourselves. Um, so believing that we are fundamentally deserving is super important in our own lives, in achieving our personal goals, allowing ourselves, just giving ourselves permission to dream up these goals in the first place. And then, of course, it's also crucially important as part of uh, the dynamic of a healthy relationship with others, because um, if we bring a deep sense of personal deficit into a relationship, especially in a romantic partnership, we often approach the other person as a way to try and fill in that void that we feel. And this might seem to work really, really well for a while, but the reality is if that we build a dependence on someone else to provide us with our own feelings of self-worth, that's a very slippery slope for everyone involved because over time we become more unstable in ourselves depending more on that external source of validation, more likely to require that um, as a source of emotional regulation even. And we not only put our partners 
in this position of inevitable failure, but we also tend to ultimately bring them down with us transferring some of our own feelings of lacking self-worth onto them. And this kind of, you know, fundamental feeling of lacking, of not being good enough can, it's a very common, super, super common thing, first of all, and not something anyone should feel ashamed of. Um, it very often is instilled completely accidentally with the best of intentions in childhood, or perhaps through some really especially powerful or painful past relationships, um, situations in which someone received the message, whether implicit, explicit, intentional, or otherwise, that they were not good enough in some way. So very often in the aftermath of that, people really strive to overcompensate for that. And they maybe as a child, they received the message that they were not good at things or stupid or whatever the case may be. They've put in a lot of time and effort to rise through the ranks at work to prove themselves in the public eye. And, but because these choices haven't been driven by their own self-appointed values, they've been driven by someone else's description of their worth. Ultimately, the praise or achievements that this line provides is only going to offer short-term feelings of self-worth and require ongoing reaffirmations from other people. And in more intimate relationships as well, people tend to attract partners, for instance, who admire them for these achievements and capabilities because they're putting so much effort into overcompensating for a feeling of lack that they come across as, you know, really exuding the opposite but just like just like with anyone else in their life who is um who is sort of feeding them in that sense they will ultimately build up a tolerance to this admiration they get from their partner and it stops working after a while and you know the word tolerance a lot of this it really sort of brings to mind an addiction and i really do think it functions a lot like any other addiction in that sense these insecurities when we look to fill them with outside sources are ultimately like black holes that everything is just getting sucked into but they never actually fill in and we're just always craving um, and before too long that person who was trying unsuccessfully to keep their own self-worth afloat through someone else's affirmation and reassurance will not only end up returning to their own baseline of feeling fundamentally lacking but they're also going to have drained their partner in the process who through all of the effort they've put in to no avail also feels now like they're not good enough um, a very dangerous pattern that tends to play out in situations like that yeah i i really appreciate what you said about emotional regulation and how this like it's sort of so if we're if we're relying on others to have this like fill in this sense of of foundational like feeling good about ourselves and and then inevitably that's not there right for some reason that someone right. else is having a bad day or there's external circumstances that are out of our control and then we're unable to emotionally regulate it within that and so it um yeah i hadn't quite thought about it in that way before but i really appreciate that that idea and it seems like there's this um almost like there's a an external 
like how you actually can measure your self-worth right so so what we were what you were just talking about is doing so more externally like based on how either how you interact with other people or how other people perceive you and kind of like seeing that reflected back so if I'm constantly looking to others to see if they like me and that's where my self-worth is coming from then that's very much like an external um source even if it's reflected back and then there's more internally how I perceive myself um and how that then compares to maybe how I I would like to be like what my ideal self would be Mm. and I don't know for me fundamentally it feels like the being able to derive my value from like in not not internally from my own accomplishments or my own like how I'm feeling about myself but just like it's sort of like a buddhist philosophy of like it just is <laughs> like if it just is there already then a lot of things can move from that and without it it needing to be how I'm feeling about myself that day because that of course changes all the time um but coming back to like that that uh yeah very I know I keep talking about foundational <laughs> principles of, of self-worth, but really it's like that steady, steady um, baseline that that isn't reliant on either my own perception or other mm. people's perceptions. And um, so there's, we'll, we'll have a couple of practical tips in, in a little bit. We like to t- start talking with our discussion, trying to define it a little bit and um, bring in kind of almost like the, the philosophical or like analytical, um, perspective to start. But, you know, there's this question of how, how, so how do we, how do we achieve, um, a healthy level of self-worth, especially as you mentioned, Anna, if, if some of your baseline feeling of, of self-worth has been formed through early negative um, early childhood experiences that were negative or um, through past relationships that have been damaging, it it can be hard to sort through, like even just where to start or, or how you actually are functioning um, in this capacity right now. But I do just want to normalize that it is, it's really uh, widespread, especially in our, in American culture to struggle with this um not just for those who you know were raised in an abusive household or who have experienced a lot of trauma there's a lot of um like widespread massive cultural pressures that are built into our society that that doesn't support us feeling good about ourselves or having this baseline level of worth or value and it's perfectly normal to have ongoing struggles with this issue in just day-to-day life. It's something that I work on a lot myself personally. Um, it's something that I work with coaching clients on all the time. Um, I'm, I'm a life coach and I work a lot with women specifically. And this is 
this is often at the root of a lot of other issues that that um, people have as they move through life. And it took me actually years to realize, like, I thought that I had a really good sense of self-worth <laughs> and that it was just like the other people in my life who needed to work on it. And, and then I realized like, oh, uh, it's not always steady. It's not like, I really had to work on believing that I'm good enough, that I am deserving enough. Um, and just that, that I am enough. Uh, and it's something that I come back to again and again. So it's not as with boundaries, it's not just like a one and done sort of thing where like, oh yeah, I got that. Like check, check that box. And now mm. I can move on with my life. It's like, oh no, there will be situations over and over again that allow me to recommit to uh, believing that I'm enough and the being able to kind of ride those ebbs and flows is um, is just an in inevitable part of being human, I think, and um, and just something something to be aware of. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I love all of that in the context of, like you say, Buddhist philosophy of um, accepting everything that comes your way and sort of zooming out, taking the bigger picture and realizing that we are complex beings and um, normalizing all of it, not just trying to compartmentalize and do away with certain sections of ourselves, which is something I absolutely struggle with as well. Um, and I'm really trying to normalize that in my own life to be sure to turn toward acceptance in these moments rather than go down that road of adding insult to injury by shaming myself or feeling self-critical for falling short of my own ideal levels of self-worth thinking, but I'm not someone who, <laughs> um, for me recently, that's been coming up actually a lot around issues of physical appearance and specifically aging. I have these little moments where I catch myself devaluing myself, detracting points here and there for the normal effects of aging or for something else that seems to fall short of what would be a more conventionally attractive ideal, which is something I absolutely hate. It's so far from who I feel I am as a person fundamentally, the values I've chosen. And I'm so aware that the origin of these feelings isn't just the biological sort of past your prime narrative, but they're massively exaggerated and distorted by cultural and especially capitalist interests. My chosen values on the one hand reject the notion that I have to look or behave a certain womanly way to be valuable as a human being, but then the cultural values around me insist that that's exactly what I need to be doing. So when I'm feeling these mixed messages, I'm not only experiencing how kind of sad and icky the feeling is in the first place, but on top of that, adding this layer of self-recrimination for allowing these narratives to have seeped into my psyche. And that's no good either. Um, so I'm trying to really make an effort to allow and accept all of it, not just the feelings of being this self-empowered woman who doesn't care what all the targeted Facebook ads are telling me I need to do these days, the creams and the hair care routines I'm <laughs> supposed to be paying attention to, but also allowing myself to fully accept and embrace the times when I do care about these things and acknowledging that that um, does not make me a less worthy deserving person. I can turn that 
those moments of shame on their head by shifting over to valuing myself as a whole complete and complex person who is just as worthy in moments of insecurity or self-doubt as in moments of clarity and confidence. I'm glad you mentioned capitalism <laughs> because I don't think we could have a discussion about self-worth without talking about capitalism. I really see see it as a system that's designed uh it's designed on making people think that they're not worthy so that <laughs> so that uh other people can make money off of us, mm. right? It's like the at, if you look at advertising and how much of advertising is based on presenting what we don't have, mm -hmm. right? It's like the beautiful home or the perfect figure or the really cool sports car, mm -hmm. you know, just all of these, uh, these images that were, were d just engulfed in, in so many ways, the, the message behind so many of them is you are not enough. Here's the thing that will fix it. And no wonder so many of us struggle with thinking that we were actually not enough or that we have to buy something to feel whole or we have to, to do something differently or change something about ourselves to feel accepted. Um, I, I read recently, it's something like the average American can name like 100 brands, mm. like, like super easily, but only like 10 plants or something. And that was just such a, a wake up call for me of like, we don't even realize how much information and, and advertising and like all of this, this information that's coming at us all the time is, is an overload to our system. And so much of, of these, I think this is probably a topic for another show, but so there's so much that happens in our thoughts around, around this. It's sort of like, okay, the, the top of the mind, what we can actually perceive as thoughts. And then the kind of the subconscious below that, that is, is harder to, to grasp. And I just wonder sometimes how much, uh, the, the culture that we live in has is like invading not only our thoughts, but also our subconscious to really shift the way that we um, think about ourselves. So that that's a little bit of a rabbit hole we could go down. But um, I did just want to bring up, yeah, capitalism and um, the that that very pervasive message of you are not enough, but you can buy this thing and then you'll feel a little bit better. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah. We could certainly spin off on these topics for quite a while. I know I mentioned the other day, speaking of addiction, all of that, the, the, um, neurochemical dopamine is really responsible for, uh, a, a large part of the addiction cycle and dopamine actually contrary to popular belief is not what's released when you get a thing, but when you are craving something. So, you know, it's, very easy to see from there how we become addicted to that feeling of craving something, wanting something, believing that it's going to be this miracle cure, this thing we're about to buy, 
we actually really, really love the feeling. And anyone who shops and enjoys that understands. Um, we love that feeling of anticipating how much of a difference this is going to make in our lives. And when we get it, a week goes by and we're over it, you know. Um, so it is just a very addictive system. We're talking today about self-worth, and we just ended with a little bit of a rant on capitalism. Um, and I also just want to say that I, I do love shopping <laughs> with all of with all of my um, my issues with capitalism. And I recently bought a new mask um, that I'm really excited Ooh. about. And I definitely I was like, oh, I think this is a good investment in twenty dollars to buy these five masks that are going to be like a lot more comfortable than the ones that I bought at Lowe's yeah. and uh, are my it has a pretty color to it, too. So don't want to totally knock anything that you need to shop online, <laughs> especially if it helps keep you safe. <laughs> Wear masks, everyone. Um, and so I did want to shift into just talking a, a little bit more practically about how we might start to uh, to shift some of this, right? We're, it's, it's very normal to struggle with self-worth. There are, um, this is something that I work with coaching clients on all the time. And because a lot of these negative thought patterns take place in the mind, it can be one strategy to start to shift this is to replace them, um, to replace negative thoughts with more positive thoughts. And so it's not the only way, um, but it can be a start. And so I like to use mantras as... Um, you know, or, or affirmations like a, a simple, easy to remember, uh, positive thought that when I notice myself falling back into, um, self-judgment, or if I, I notice that I'm making decisions that seem like they're rooted in not valuing myself, I can kind of use a mantra to come, come back into that. And so a really simple one is just, I am enough. And, um, I'm a writer and so I do a lot of journaling and I will incorporate some of these affirmations or mantras into my journaling practice at times where sometimes I'll just write it 10 times. Other times I will um, use use sticky notes. So I'll, I'll put the mantra that I'm trying to incorporate more into my mindset and into my life. Um, I'll write it on a sticky note and just put them all over my apartment. And I started doing this like about a year ago and I felt kind of silly about it at times. I was like, man, it's a good thing it's a pandemic when you know not very many people are in my apartment because they're gonna walk in and be like, wow, you've, you've got a lot of notes for yourself, Chels. Um, but then, so I do this, this weekly meditation group with a, um, I participate in a, a weekly meditation group with a, a Buddhist monk in Thailand. And he was talking uh, about the concept of impermanence and how, you know, everything, this is fundamental to a lot of Buddhist, Buddhist philosophy about how everything is impermanent, everything's changing all the time, um, and that, that this is something that we can come back to again and again, and it can, it can help us, you know, throughout our lives. And he, someone, someone asked him, like, do you have any advice for how to do that? Like, how do you, how do you remember? <laughs> because it's really easy to forget about impermanence, to think that 
the state that you're in, especially if it's if it's challenging, is going to last forever. Or to think that because right now you feel happy, like that's going to last forever. And it can be really hard to to just make that simple shift into remembering about impermanence. And he was like, yeah, so one thing that I do is I just write impermanence on a sticky note and I put it around my room. And I was like, oh, me too. Like, oh, if, if Prow Will is doing that, you know, he's like a, a trained Buddhist monk, practicing Buddhist monk, then, then I feel less silly about doing it for myself. Uh, I love that. I am also a big fan of sticky notes all over the place when I'm trying to work through something. And um, if it makes people uncomfortable walking through the house, so be it. <laughs> That's quite all right. Um, I will say that for some people, um, mantras or any anything like that, any decided intentional shift toward positivity as a replacement for whatever negative thoughts we're contending with, that can be for some people ineffective or possibly even counterproductive. It really is a case by case thing. Um, in the anxiety treatment world, for instance, with cognitive behavioral therapy, the most important shift to make is the one that's simply introducing a possibility that our assessment of something may be off. If for example, I'm struggling really hard with anxiety and I have these catastrophizing thoughts like what if I don't do X in time or I don't do it just right and then this really horrible thing will happen. Um, the intensity of that, ex because of the intensity of that experience, it's not going to be possible to convince my brain that I'm completely wrong about this. I can't just sort of wrap a nice mantra around myself like a blanket. Instead to say, that outcome um, may or may not happen instead of saying that that if you say that outcome is just not going to happen, that's ridiculous. Your brain is going to immediately reject that idea because there's way, way, way too much attachment to the fear at hand. So instead saying maybe it will, maybe it won't, the word maybe really opens up a lot of space. It's an incredibly powerful turning point on a brain training level, actually, to introduce uncertainty as not necessarily your enemy, but um, a brighter light, something that offers the possibility of it being accepted and making a slight shift. And likewise, with depression, for instance, if you're living in a state where you feel chronically worthless, it's not really going to help to wake up feeling awful and tell yourself, I'm a wonderful, valuable person and I deserve love. Um, if it helps, fantastic, but I'm just saying for some people, understandably, that's just going to add insult to injury because the brain is immediately going to call BS and dismiss the whole thing as some sort of toxic positivity or something like that and may, in the end, um, propel that person even deeper into depression. So instead, again, to simply introduce the possibility that you might be valuable, maybe just in one tiny way that you've overlooked. And from there, you can start to truly embrace and accept that the reality is that you're a complex human being with multiple facets, and you might not be seeing yourself totally accurately. Um, again, just sort of bringing us back to the to the Buddhist philosophy of radical acceptance of everything involved. I've been, I feel like we're talking about Buddhism a lot in this, this uh, segment, but 
part of the reason why it's at the top of my mind right now is because I'm doing a 10 day, uh, I think it's called radical compassion challenge with Tara Brock, who's a Buddhist teacher and author. And, um, the, so it's, it's a lot about compassion and about sending compassion to yourself and then to others, um, either those that you love already or those that you don't know, or those that you have challenges with, and then also compassion out to, to everyone, all beings everywhere. And, um, she wrote a really great book that I think is called radical compassion and, and another one called radical acceptance. Um, but one of the, the concepts that, that I also really appreciate when it, it comes to self-worth is, is this idea of non-attachment, right? To, um, non-attachment to outcome, non-attachment to, um, to our thoughts, <laughs> you know, which is, which is kind of a funny shift from talking about a mantra, which is, is trying to replace thoughts to a, a different approach, which would be, um, just not attaching to thoughts to begin with. And, you know, I, I think you'll notice that Anna and I have, have two, we're coming at these topics often from two different perspectives. Um, mine is often more rooted in like spirituality and coaching and, um, you know, like mindset and, um, and hers is, is more of a mental health and, um, clinical and, and analytical perspective. And that's part of why we, we wanted to have these conversations in this, mm -hmm. this show is that, that there's so many different ways to look at something. Um, but I, I do, I think we also share an appreciation for, for mindfulness in general and, and that as a, as a really important tool for moving through challenges and, and wonderful things in life. Um, with, with mindfulness can be a really helpful friend, we'll say. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'm all about the mindfulness. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, along with, along with things like mantras or, um, mindfulness in itself, which you can absolutely cultivate as a practice, and that has been proven through many clinical studies to be <laughs> extremely powerful. It actually changes your brain on a fundamental level. Um, some other practical ways that you might be able to start shifting your sense of self-worth. Uh, you could do something as simple as imagining someone you know and love in the same situation that you're in and wondering what advice you would give them, for instance, or what you would think or feel about their self-worth in that situation um, in order to ask yourself where and why there's a difference, if there is a difference between your assessment of their situation and your assessment of yours in a similar scenario. Um, the end goal here being really to, again, to accept all of it, to allow yourself to be a totally complex human being and to look at others issues not as or other people in general not as more or as less important than you I will note that we have been 
talking primarily coming at this primarily from the point of view of being able to offer insight into ways to raise your sense of self-worth if you happen to struggle with issues like perfectionism or anything else that may have led to a low or um, or unstable sense of self-worth. But then, of course, we also don't want to go too far on the opposite side of the spectrum, which at that extreme would be narcissism, either grandiose, where uh, the, the people we tend to think of when we hear about narcissistic personality who are high-powered and charismatic cutthroat, totally full of themselves, taking advantage of everyone around them. And then there's also vulnerable narcissism where someone actually has a very low and very unstable sense of their own self-worth and they tend to swing wildly from undervaluing themselves to the point of self-loathing and then overcompensating by trying to put other people down in order to bring themselves up by comparison. Um, trying to create insecurity in others in order to make themselves feel powerful, which is, uh, we, we don't want to get to that point. <laughs> Ideally, we'd like to be able to feel that we are fundamentally just as deserving and valuable as the people around us. Yeah, definitely. We are as deserving as the people around us. And that's, I, I like that. Um, sometimes I'll take that even a step further of not just who, uh, like imagining how another, how I would, I would treat another person, but even thinking about like someone that I really, really love, like I'll probably talk about mm. them every, every, uh, show here, but my nephews, <laughs> They are often one of those people that I'm like, how would I, how, like, what advice would I give Porter or Wyatt in this situation? And then offering that back to myself and that that's, that's really, that's really what compassion is, I think, is moving from a place of love. Um, and in the coaching world, like the goal is really to see and interact with clients, seeing them as whole and complete exactly as they are. And also in order to do that, I have to be able to see myself as whole and complete exactly as I am, which is imperfect and flawed and like working on things, you know, and, and all of these things in life. But I think it really comes down to that, um, to love. And I really liked what you said the other day, Anna, would you share about what that looks like in the therapy world? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, just the, the phrase, the idea, um, of having unconditional positive regard. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, in the therapy world, mental health professionals are counseled to try to cultivate and maintain a sense of unconditional positive regard for their clients, which in certain circumstances can really be a challenge if that person's um, philosophy or beliefs or actions really dramatically conflict with theirs. But um, needless to say, it's obviously super important to not go into a situation like that with judgment that's going to leak out or um, with a mindset that allows that person to 
devalue or just undervalue the person in front of them as a, as a human being fundamentally. So you're really taught to see this person in front of you, uh, just as we're talking about, you know, as this complex, full human being, all flawed, all doing the best we can ultimately. And that's something that we can also then extend that back to ourselves. Just, uh, I do like the phrase unconditional positive regard. It sort of helps pull me out of my own head sometimes um, to remind myself that actually I am good enough and good enough is in fact pretty great. <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and one thing that, that I've thought about around self-worth also is how, how it's slightly different, how some of our, our like patterns, um, around self-worth and gender can, they, I think it shows up differently for men and women. Sometimes there's often an expectation of women as caretakers and as their self-worth being built, built upon caring for others or doing for others, um, which can become sort of a vicious cycle uh, and that, that in my experience, or at least what I've, I've seen, um, this isn't always the case, but that oftentimes men's self-worth is, is tied up in, or we're told by our culture, the culture that we, we grow up in, um, is that it's based on their performance, providing for others, oftentimes, um, competition and, and that th both of these these uh, patterns serve to, to sort of reinforce <laughs> reinforce this this uh, system where really no one feels good about themselves, mm. right? And I would argue that that patriarchy, which um, is is the the system that that we live in here in America, really doesn't serve anyone, men or women. That it's it's designed to create disconnection, and it it's actually pretty effective in doing that. Um, and that when coupled with rampant lack of self worth, it means that that we're sort of just living in a society that has a lot of unpeople, unhappy people who feel bad about themselves mm -hmm. and don't recognize their own value and worth and take out their unhappiness on others. And so one of the ways to break that cycle I see is that it's really powerful for anyone, no matter what their gender, um, or no matter any, any of the, the ways that, that we think that we are, are divided or, or separate from each other, that claiming our inherent worth and value just purely as a human being and really working on, on like deeply believing that can be a powerful way to, to break that, that vicious cycle and to, um, I think to like bring good into the world, right? It's not just like that, Oh, love yourself. Like that can be like a really easy, easy, uh, I don't know exactly what easy way to bypass some of the work that needs to be done, I think in the world, but it's also can be a really powerful place to start. Yeah, absolutely. Grassroots healing. If you learn to cultivate that for yourself, that really reverberates throughout the entirety of the system for sure. And yes, we could absolutely and maybe will spend time on another show talking more about um, those cultural expectations of each of the genders and 
my goodness, men are there and not having an easier time of this than women, those expectations of uh, performance, competition, all that, you know, just because in this system under patriarchy they have more power does not mean that that's serving them necessarily in a healthy way either. But uh, we do not have time today to get into any of that at greater length. So we'd like to thank And that was our episode on self-worth. Take a look at my website, www.chelseafrisbee.com to see more podcasts from perfectionism to boundaries to so much more. Hope you enjoy it.